The Unbiased Podcast, Your Money, Your Future, is recorded at Exchange, 22 Bishopsgate, London, and powered by Copus. Hello, I'm Karen Barrett, CEO and founder of unbiased.co.uk, and this is The Unbiased Podcast, available to listen to completely free from wherever you find your great audio experiences. Unbiased.co.uk has a range of really useful calculator tools to help you plan your pension or mortgage. Head online now and try them out. Welcome to Your Money, Your Future, where I'm excited to be talking to a host of fascinating guests about their experiences and attitudes to money. And today I'm thrilled to be joined by Carol Decker, lead singer and founder of the band Tapau. Hello, Carol. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much for inviting me onto the podcast. So thanks for being our guest. Let's start off by rewinding back to the start of Tapau. Did you have any idea of how successful your songs Heart and Soul and then, of course, China in Your Hand were going to be? Um, no, not really. And, and prior to Tapau, my ex-partner, Ronnie Rogers, who founded the band with me, was also my boyfriend for 13 years. You know, we'd been slogging away. People thought we were this overnight success and we weren't. We'd been like sending our tapes away and playing loads and loads and loads of gigs for a good five years before we got our deal in 86. But we knew we had something and, and we were sort of what they say close but no cigar. You know, we get different labels sniffing around and then they go, oh, yeah, we like that. And the song that everybody loved, they all loved. It was um, a track called Valentine. That was the big ballad that we had. Okay. Yeah, exactly. What more like Valentine, you know. So then finally we get our deal with, with Virgin. Heart and Soul was written by then, uh, but China in Your Hand wasn't. China in Your Hand, Ronnie and I had continued to write after we, we had our deal and we were scheduled to go into the studio just outside Chicago in the States. And uh, we were working on the album with Roy Thomas Baker, who um, produced Queen. And he said there was a track that wasn't working. I can't even remember what it was, but it just wasn't working. We were wasting time and money, you know, in the studio because it's like, who you paid by the hour is forging. He said, have you got anything else? And I said, well, we've got this that we'd started on. And of course, back then it was a cassette, you know. Yeah, yeah. But a cassette in my bag and it was the piano early vocal version of China in Your Hand. And so I played it to him and uh, he went, that's a great song. Why didn't I hear that when selecting the songs and I said well because we hadn't written it when we met you we've continued to write since we met you you know so he he always loved that and the great thing about China is it works as a piano vocal it works on acoustic guitar and vocal and then of course Roy being Roy who produced Bohemian Rhapsody turned it into the huge piece of massive yeah musical drama that it is because that that's his MO that's his shtick you know so he always loved that and I, my favourite was always Heart and Soul because I thought as a songwriter it was the most clever song with the mm. dual vocal and the rap and trying to mix those two vocals so you can hear them both at the same time is kind of yeah. clever, you know. So that was always my favourite. So we had high hopes. We had high hopes. We finally got a deal. We're working with this big Grammy award-winning, you know, um, producer. So clearly we think something's going to happen. Then we release Heart and Soul in the UK and it's a massive flop. It goes into the top 100, into the 100, and then straight back out. And we thought, oh no, it's all over before it's begun because the music business is ruthless. They mm. do not waste a penny. And the entertainment business is ruthless. You know, if, you, if they're not going to make money out of you, you are gone. 
thankfully for us, America took to heart and soul and it started to climb up the American charts. Mm-hmm. And then a jeans company called Pepe Jeans decided yeah. to use it in the cinema commercials campaign across the UK. So it got this bit of cool, you know, it was they yeah. were a very cool brand. So yeah. it had this sort of attachment to a little bit of cool. And so then Virgin re-released it in the UK and it shot up to number four as it did everywhere, including America. So we always had high hopes. The rug can just be pulled from under your feet at any time. And the whole thing about, you know, anything creative, whether it's a movies, a novel, music, a painting, a play, whatever, it's the X factor, isn't it? You know, otherwise you'd write a number one hit every time. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes I think I have, I think I've come up with another great one and nobody sees it or hears it the way I do. So it's really hard to tell. It's a, it's a crapshoot, Karen. Yeah. But you, you kept the faith. You talk about the 13 years that you were slogging for, and then overnight, seemingly, I know it wasn't that way. You were massively successful. How quickly did money change your life? And what was the impact of your success? We were slogging for five years, sorry. Five years, sorry. Yeah, with Ronnie for 13, sorry, that's where you got the number from. I would say I was racking my brain over this because as we speak today, it was 35 years ago that album came out this year. So, you know, oh my trying to remember everything is tricky. We're trying to remember anything these days. Is <laughs> I'd probably say eight months, I think. So, yeah, I would say it came out late 87 and I think by mid 88 money was coming through because i remember ronnie and i wanted to buy a house and you're talking silly money silly money oh, okay um, people actually earn money from their royalties which unfortunately they don't anymore don't get me started on streaming <laughs> so we were going to buy a house in london moving from shrewsbury in shropshire where we we lived and we needed a deposit and we were going to go to the bank and you know get a loan because we knew this money was coming in and We'd already spoken to the bank manager and he knew who we were and how successful we'd been. And he was going to action that. And I remember my manager saying, no, don't go to the bank. Go to the record company. They'll, they'll advance it. You know, so I think they, they lent mm-hmm. us like, I hate, it's quite vulgar to talk about money, but I think they advanced us like a hundred grand so we could get a nice big house. Wow. Where we put a recording studio in it as well. So we needed a quite a big space so we could do yeah. work as well, you know. And do you think you got the right financial advice as your career took off? It's interesting. You went to a bank and actually it was the record company that gave you that advice. Did you get business advice at that point or financial advice at all? Yes and no. It's tricky because the man that managed us and believed in us also ended up not being so trustworthy later. So he gave us bad advice, but I'll be careful what I say. I know what happened. So anyway, so yeah, we were told, you know, open a pension because I just get kind of bored with it all I need money and I like money and I want money but I'm not driven by money so I keep forgetting to do all these clever things you know funnily enough took a meeting with my bank manager yesterday so I'm going to try and grow up a bit but yeah so we got some advice so you know start a pension and then we were told put a percentage away for your tax and VAT which I did you know like a third way or whatever it was so I did that but in terms of borrowing the money from the record company so here's here's the kicker with that our band that we put together were signed to me and ronnie on a production deal so we were signed to the label we wrote all the songs and then we put to power together out of a handful of guys that we knew liked respected as musicians we signed them and they they were employed by me and ron on a production deal and they were also on a little bit of 
record sales profit and a little bit of merch to keep them incentivized and involved. So when we were persuaded, told by our manager, go to the record company, a couple of things happened. One, as an advance, he was entitled to commission at 20%. And the boys, the boys, their production deal, anything they got was always after recruitment. So that pushed their recruitment back because mm-hmm. it was an advance added on to the previous advances to make the, the record. So okay. it was a complete act of naivety. We were completely yeah. into it by a manager. We should have just gone to the bank and got a personal loan for our own house. So we didn't intentionally mean to do anything wrong. So we were talked into something. So that's the kind of thing that goes on. But we were all really young and naive and we, we trusted the people that we were working with, you know. Mm-hmm. Of course, of course. And what about your upbringing? Do you think your childhood influenced the way you see money? Definitely, because I didn't come from a wealthy background. My family were all from Liverpool. My mum's um, family were particularly skint, so they were sort of a big Catholic family. My mum was one of seven. Her granddad was a, a dock worker on a very low income, and they had the whole the tin bath thing and sleeping top to toe in the the bed you know like a lot of people did back in the 30s my father's side he was one of two and Nana Decker actually managed a fruit and veg shop which was quite something for a woman to be a manager mm-hmm. of a shop back then you know so my dad yeah. was business oriented he worked really hard he put himself through night school got some sort of little business qualifications and he had always had a couple of jobs so he'd be working the day he'd be a bouncer in clubs he was a pianist so he played jazz in in lots of clubs and earned lots of money not sorry and earned some money not yeah. lots of money at all but you know when I was a toddler we were evicted onto the street my dad was at work my brother was a baby in my mother's arms I was you know about five I remember standing on the pavement and you remember it do you I do and, and we had to go live with, with my grandma and you know and then finally my dad gets a job in a little supermarket in Shropshire he'd been applying for jobs in the same line of business his mum was in and we moved to Shropshire and got a little house and we built from there so I've been raised to know that hard work will get you out of a hole so I have a strong work ethic I've also learned to respect money because I've known what it's like not to have any fortunately briefly for me but it must have been terrifying for my mum to be out on the street with two kids literally out on the the street with two kids in her arms you know they didn't care they really didn't care and so I value money in terms of security so you see it as a tool to live the life you want you're not actually driven by it because it's interesting you mentioned that you haven't topped up your pension listeners do top up your pensions but it's interesting you're you're interested in sort of your passion for music and the things you want to do more than chasing the money is that right Absolutely, completely. Now that we've all been through these trying times and two years of the economy being closed down and it's affected so many of us in so many different ways, it has changed my attitude, which is why I took the meeting with the bank manager yesterday going like, look, I need to really box more clever. What can I do? And we went through a variety of things, potential investments and stuff and the pension again, where I need to get a little bit more courage and confidence and try and make my money work for me, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. And what do you think the best piece of financial advice you've ever received, have, or the best investment that you've made? Best advice from my dad, neither a borrower nor a lender be. And I would say the best investment I ever made was, was my house in London. Definitely. It's, it's the first house I ever bought and I was 30 years old because I had a real late start in the music business. So, you know, and I was in and out of dead end jobs and on and off the dole until we, we caught our breaks. I was 30. 
by the time I bought a house. But it was odd because it's like if you suddenly have a massive hit record, it's a bit like winning the lottery and went from a very damp flat in Shropshire where we, Ronnie and I used to watch the telly in sleeping bags because it was so cold in the winter. <laughs> we didn't have any central heating. My dad bought us a calico gas heater that we could wheel around whatever room we were in. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, you know, I've got some money to throw around. So I did get, with the help of a good friend who knew London and was a builder, a good house on, in an up-and-coming area, and it did gentrify. It did gentrify. So by the time I moved out of it in 2005, bearing in mind I bought it in 88. Yeah. It really had increased in price. And then I bought another nice house and moved on. That's my biggest asset. Yeah. In terms of your finances then, do you see that you need to put your eggs in different baskets? You know, you mentioned property and a pension and some other things. Is that a a strategy that you're utilising or has that just come about? I'm starting to utilise it very recently because I have in the past, like I said, I've just been, I put my, card in the ATM and if money came out I was like Ooh! <laughs> still some in there you know but because of the nature of my business I'm getting older my big big hits and heyday are getting further behind me the music business has changed you don't yeah. really the way you used to only the top two percent of artists in the world and you're talking Madonna Taylor Swift Ed Sheeran you know that big really yeah. make any money now out of record sales and stuff yeah so that income source isn't there where your royalties would be like a pension stream because you Mm. you know i'm sure if any of our listeners listen to any of the 80s formatted radio stations you'll hear my songs frequently yes and without getting out my tiny violin you'd be shocked at how little i earn now from that i was always hoping to rely on that and i can't so now i've got to gig more work harder and make the money I've accumulated start to do something mm-hmm. for me which I've not really done before I've just been pleased to see it yeah yeah but now I need to make it work paying more attention to it. I think that is a theme you know, the cost of living crisis everyone's yes. looking much more yeah. carefully at where they're spending money where they can rein it in Absolutely. and what they're doing with yeah. things yeah me yeah. too I'm, I'm down with that completely so tell me about your recent career you're still writing and performing you know, what are you loving at the moment? Yeah, um, the bulk of my career, like I said, it's a lot of live work now. And there's an awful lot of 80s, 80s love out there. I have, I did my first, if you like, 80s reunion tour in 2001 with Paul Young, Kim Wilde and Go West. And Good we, lineup. Yeah. And I'm off on tour again this year with Paul Young and Hugh and Cry and all my 80s festivals. So people say, oh, the 80s is back. It's been back since 2001. Yeah. And it's, we're all yeah. we? 2022 so even with my shocking maths that's longer than the 80s decade last yeah absolutely (laughs) so it's the gift that keeps on giving but it very much is physical hard work now I have to be on the road all the time but we have been doing some writing so obviously the last two years not a lot some of that's my own fault because I'm not technical so I haven't been able to a I'm not technical so I can't work remotely and like share files with the other musicians and stuff I just can't do it my brain doesn't work that way and b i'm crap at writing on my own i like to sit in a room with people yeah. bash out chords ideas i throw melody across it starts to grow i just can't sit on my own with headphones you need that collaboration and then obviously i take all of the credit for it <laughs> yeah which i'm really good at yeah <laughs> yeah so that's me so that kind of in 
not being able to get together with Ronnie and some of the guys was inhibiting. And then Ronnie, yeah. also he lives in Wales and he's got the studio and that's in Monmouth. And of course, Mark Drakeford had his own set of restrictions going on. So when things were easing up here in England, I couldn't get to Ron. And it's been hard to write. And I haven't felt very motivated either. I, I was incredibly down about what was happening, about the world, about being locked in, you know, in an open prison, not being able to to do what we wanted and live our yeah. life normally. I didn't use the time productively and go, oh, I'll learn French, I'll write a book. I just drank lots of wine and shouted at the television for about two years. Didn't we all? Didn't we all? Doesn't that yeah. pain, though, give you material now? It will. I've got quite a few ideas seeping, and Ronnie and I are trying to schedule in writing. But we put out a fun song in 2020. So if anybody wants to go onto YouTube and put in um, To Power Be Wonderful, that's a great song. And my kids filmed the video for me, and we did it with... My chickens, my Irish setter, our duck, Joey. And it's just a fun... A real family affair. real family affair. And then in 2021, Ronnie and I put out Guess Who's Sorry Now. Again, another download single, which is out there if anybody wants to buy it, which is a great tune. And we've got other things. We've got, got other things in the pipeline, definitely. I just need to... And I'm feeling more invigorated now because yeah. things are getting back to normal, aren't they? And for me, I can only speak for myself. I'm only starting to cheer up and feel like I can do things and go places I, I did get very very down I must admit I'm glad you've got more on you mentioned getting the red setter and the chickens etc and the children involved would you say that you're more financially savvy now because of the experiences you've had and have you passed that on to your children I would say I am more savvy now it's a little bit of growing up isn't it I wasn't like I said I wasn't concerned with those things yeah. I don't I paid some money, had a roof over my head, and woohoo, let's go off and do the gig. But now I realise I'm getting older and the world's changed. And I, yes, I'm growing up, I'm getting more savvy. And I've always passed on to my children that they have to work. Since they've both been 16, I've made them go out, get jobs. They've always worked in shops and restaurants and bars, you know. Yeah. And even when my husband's in the hospitality industry and he's at times had his own restaurant and they would be peeling spuds and washing dishes, you know, so I've always put that across to them. And the whole neither a borrower nor a lender be, which for me, I think is, you know, sound advice. So they've got some savings and Dylan, my son, he's the one I have to watch. He's spendthrift. He's, he, gets, he gets influenced by adverts. <laughs> oh, don't we all? I feel for yeah, him. He went shopping yesterday and came home like 70 quid lighter. <laughs> Scarlett, who's 24 <laughs> weeks, she's a bit more cautious, you know. Does she but, take after you? Yeah, but they see their dad works really hard and I yeah. work really hard and they, they, I think hopefully they've made that equation, you know. Yeah. Well, it's a difficult world to live in. You know, you say your, your son gets uh, taken in by the ads, but it's in people's faces all the time. You need this, the next thing, the next okay. thing. Yeah, you don't. And I think this cost of living crisis is quite interesting because people are now looking at their consumption of anything, you know, food, clothes, energy. So it could yeah. be, you know, silver lining. Oh, my God, no, the energy bills are crazy. I tweeted the other day, mine yeah. shot up to, in fact, I'm going to go through the statement with my husband and make sure that they haven't made some kind of mistake because, you know, I seem to be running Windsor Castle yeah. called my utilities company. <laughs> yeah, and so, I and mean, it will be, you know, it'll be hard for our kids to get their own houses and stuff. I try not to focus on the doom and gloom too much, and yeah. I'm old enough to have been through recessions before. Yeah. The world does move forward. So hopefully it will. I try and be optimistic as well as realistic. Yeah, so looking forward to the future, if you had a crystal ball, how do you see your financial future? Oh, my goodness me. You know, complete honesty. And I'm not, I'm not wealthy. 
I wasn't in the Rolling Stones. I was in a band in the 80s and we had a handful of hit records and I've done okay for myself. And, you know, I suppose I'd be considered a reasonably successful person. And I haven't squandered my money, although I enjoy my life, I haven't squandered my money. And my husband's hardworking and he's seven years younger than me, so he can bloody be the cash cow. Yeah, he can keep you in the manner to which you're accustomed. Done rocking. It's his turn. (laughs) (laughs) But together, we're a good team, Richard and I, and both on the same page about what we want to accumulate. And, you know, we as long as we can go into the third chapter of your life comfortable, we'll be grateful, you know. Yeah. We're definitely seeing that it's not that people work and then they have a cut off to retirement, that it sort of tapers down with some projects on the go and, you know, social and work sort of intermingling as people get older. Do you see that? Yeah, well, happen to you? In my business, the business retires you, you know. Yeah. yeah. So as long as I'm, I still seem to be getting away with it, <laughs> even though I, you know, I'm, oh my God, I don't even want to say it, but. Am I 65 this year? I might be 65. Oh, it's good when you forget. You can save a year or two. I can't even wrap my head around that that is my age. I really, really can't. I've definitely been infantilized by being in a role band, <laughs> you know, for like 35 years. But yeah, I guess when I feel I can't do it or if I feel I can't do it well, if, if my songs are big songs, I've got huge battles like Valentine, China in Your Hands, big rock songs as well, yeah. as Heart and Soul. They're vocally challenging and I would never, ever not want to deliver them properly. If I've got to cheat because I can't sing anymore like I used to because I'm older, then I would absolutely stop. But right now, still getting away with it and uh, people are coming to see me, so that's good. Yeah, absolutely. So lastly, I want to do our quick fire round. Are you ready? Yeah. Are you a saver or a spender? Saver. Best investment? I mean, you mentioned your property, but is there anything else? No, I'd still say the house, yeah. Okay, good. And your worst? I don't really have one. I've never made a massive mistake, to be honest with you, because I'm cautious. I'm very cautious. Yeah. Very good. Does money make you happy? Yes, it does. It's not the only thing in life, but it's security, isn't it? And that makes me happy to feel secure. I can take care of myself. I can take care of my family. Absolutely. And what was the last thing that you bought? Literally, doesn't matter what it is. No, anything. Okay, I bought some bedding yesterday. I bought a new duvet and some pillowcases because the old one had holes in it. So that's now been relegated to the garage as a dust sheet for decorating. See, we don't Very you. good. No, no, be thrifty. And have you got it on the bed yet? And do you still like it when you put it on the bed? Because my thing is getting it home and then thinking, oh, it didn't look like I imagined. Well, I've done it online, you know. Oh. I've done it online, so hopefully it will be okay. (laughs) Fingers crossed. Carol, it has been such a pleasure to have you on the show. It's been really interesting to listen to your experience with money. So thank you for joining me today. Oh, pleasure. I didn't consider myself financially interesting, but it's been fun. Thanks very much for asking me. For our listeners, it's time to get smart with your finances. Carol's given such honest insight into her experiences, both good and bad, proving that we can all benefit from greater financial education. So number one, take stock of what you have. Number two, read up and keep informed. And three, plan. Head on to unbiased.co.uk for information, tools and calculators that will help you save the retirement you want. Thanks for listening to the Unbiased podcast and today's guest, Carol Decker. Please subscribe to our show, giving us a five-star review and tell the people you care about to have a listen. Remember, don't pay the price for having no advice. Making a high-quality podcast like this one takes a lot of work. That's a fact. But not when you hire a podcast company. With our White Glove experience, we handle everything for you. 
From guest outreach all the way through to publishing and promotion, we handle it all. You show up to hold great interviews and build relationships with your guests, and we take care of everything else. Podcasting is not just about the audience. Every podcast interview is the start of a new relationship. With a weekly podcast, you'd build relationships with 52 ideal partners or prospects through your podcast interviews over the next 12 months. Do you believe that 52 new relationships would help grow your business? We do. Contact jason at a podcastcompany.com and let's talk.